May the peace of Christ be with you. This is Molly Vetter, Senior Pastor of the Westwood United Methodist Church in Los Angeles. Welcome to our Sanctuary Gathering podcast. Here we share the sermon preached on Sunday as a part of our Sanctuary Gathering. We hope that in these words you will be drawn closer to God and made more ready to love your neighbor. As a congregation, we embrace the words of the Hebrew prophet that are etched into the stairs that lead to our building, the calling to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We also believe that we're a richer congregation for the diversity of people who participate in our community, and we celebrate the diversity of age, race, gender identity, and sexual orientation that participate in our church. You are welcome in this place, and we hope you will participate. We invite you to do your own theology, to wrestle with questions of faith as we seek out what it means to be faithful Christians today. You're welcome to join us not only by listening in to this podcast, but we also invite you to join in our congregational life. Every Sunday, you're welcome to join us for worship at 9.30 a.m. You can join us in our beautiful sanctuary in Los Angeles at the corner of Warner and Wilshire or online via our church Facebook page. All are welcome in our midst, and we thank you for being a part of our church. May these moments be a blessing to you today. The first reading this morning is from Psalm 62. I invite you to listen for the word of God. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. For my hope is from God, who alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge, is God. Trust in God at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before God, who is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion. Set no vain hopes in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. Power belongs to God. And to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you repay all according to their work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading comes from Mark in the first chapter, toward the beginning of the story, a moment of invitation from Jesus. I invite you to listen for the word of God. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. 
and immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? O holy God, may my words and our thoughts and our lives reflect the fullness and beauty of your grace. We pray in your holy name. Amen. I was uh, paying a little bit of attention to Emmy coverage this last week. I feel it's our obligation as Angelinos to at least tune in to what's happening in the world of television and film. I followed the Los Angeles Times coverage of a day in the life of someone going to the Emmys. They followed an actor or a man who's become an actor. Ronald is his name. He was the unlikely star of a TV show called Jury Duty that came out this last year, a show built on a strange premise. Uh, Everyone knew that it was fake except for one person, Um, who believed that he was participating in a documentary about jury duty service. I don't know if any of y'all watched it. It's pretty hilarious. As the chaos unfolds, scripted by improvising actors, Ronald is tested about how he'll respond as a human. And it was comforting for me as I watched the show to read enough and talk to friends to know that he comes out well at the end. Right? Because you feel bad for this guy who's stuck in this sequestered jury with a bunch of really strange scenarios. Uh, but he comes out with this like, tender heart who just hopes the best for humanity. It's propelled Ronald Gladden into a new star status. Invitations to openings and contracts to promote things. Uh, in the Los Angeles Times, they were talking to him about this change in his life from being a solar contractor in San Diego to a television star. He said, it wasn't hard to leave behind being a contractor. I can always go back easily. I was thinking about that as I was reading this story from the Gospel of Mark, as Jesus calls these fishermen from the Sea of Galilee. This dramatic story of Jesus appearing, proclaiming the good news, and their decision to leave their nets behind and follow. I've always wondered what sort of options it cuts off what kind of faith it represents to immediately leave behind what was and take up a new opportunity. I don't mean to suggest that becoming a television star is the same as following Jesus. (laughs) But it's a peculiar interaction, and I've always puzzled over how quickly these first disciples are ready to leave behind what was and take up what might be, not in a moment of confidence that the program was going to end well, because as we're told in the beginning of the verses we just read, this takes place just after John was arrested, which might be included to help us keep the sequence of events in order, but certainly also communicates that there is a tension in this gospel that Jesus is promoting that is out of sync with the powers that be in his own time. The time marker is the arrest of a prophetic leader, the one who'd been calling people to repentance and offering a baptism in the Jordan River. The invitation to follow Jesus then isn't one 
to Hollywood contracts and fame. It's an invitation that comes with some degree of awareness of the challenge of what's ahead. But these fishermen in Mark's gospel immediately leave their nets behind and go to follow Jesus. Now, it shouldn't be surprising that anything happens immediately in the gospel of Mark. That's how Mark tells the story. It's immediately this and immediately that. The shortest telling of the gospels takes us quickly through the action. A sense of heightened urgency motivates the power of this thing that is happening. But here, here in the first chapter, immediately these fishermen leave their nets and go to follow Jesus. I've been thinking about that suddenness of invitation, the radicalness of this change. Grateful for commentary work by Ched Myers, who unpacks so much of the economic and political backdrop of this moment in the story of our Gospels, who remind us of the economic realities of fishermen there along the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Ched Myers and his commentary work helps us think about the changes that had taken place within the economy of fisher people on that sea in this time of belonging under the dominion of the Roman Empire, of the leadership of the Herodians, clues us in to changes that had taken place, economic shifts. And I know you came here this morning for a conversation about economic realities of working-class fisher people on the Sea of Galilee in about the year 30, right? That's what you thought. I got out of bed, got myself to church on a rainy day. But I think this is important. The fisher people who were there on the Sea of Galilee that day, they were a part of a system that increasingly shifted the goal of fishing away from subsistence fishing, fishing to catch fish eaten by the people doing the fishing and the people in their community, and into participation in an increasingly, well, to talk about a globalized economy today is a completely different scale, but an increasingly broad economy, fishing for export instead of fishing for eating or sharing with your community. If this backdrop is Uh, a helpful way of reading the story, we might understand the decision to leave behind the nets as not simply a change of two valid, equally uh, esteemed and enjoyed professions, but as a release of sorts. In fact, the Greek word used for leaving behind the nets is also used elsewhere for the leaving behind of our sins, for the leaving behind of the things that bind us. It's possible in this moment for these fisher people, these first disciples, the ones who go to follow Jesus, that what they're leaving behind is a system they felt trapped in, a system they felt captive to, and instead finding belonging in something else. This makes so much sense to me, and it resonates with the invitation of Jesus who says that he's proclaiming good news about a different way of being in the world that's not only spiritual but also practical, that's preached not to an abstract, apart from the real stuff of life community, but to people embedded in systems that have the power to limit and dehumanize and hold us captive. 
So when Jesus says, leave your nets behind, he's also offering an invitation to a different way of being in the world that's not trapped in cycles of uh, debt and so that wage slavery, but that's liberated for something else. What if, as Jesus is calling these first disciples, he's invited, inviting them to lay down the whole system they've been a part of, the system that keeps them economically bound to an empire that denies their full humanity, laying down their captivity to a way of being in the world that feels like it steals a little of their humanity and in a real and economic way also holds them captive. The invitation of the gospel then becomes an invitation to a different way of being in the world, a way that's freed from what we've known, a different way of being in the world that invites us to be whole, but also connected to each other, also mutual, also a community. Uh, This last Friday night, we were, um, my son had someone spending the night, a friend, and we watched the first of the live-action Mission Impossible movies with Tom Cruise in it, which was a fun opportunity for education about now antiquated technologies. Um, When it first came out, it was all the newest whatever, but we were trying to explain what a zip disk and zip drive were. Um, As we watched the show, both our son and his friend were confused. These Mission Impossible stories turn on uh, lots of treachery, right? People being double agents and navigating your way through the whole of the story. At some point in the midst of the movie, when one of the kids said, I'm really confused, I don't know who to watch or who to trust, we paused and we said, this Mission Impossible thing, this was not an invention when this movie came out. It was also a character that goes back decades. And you have to believe that the main character is good. For Mission Impossible to work, you have to trust in Ethan Hunt. That although everything else is shifting, that you can't tell whose side anyone's going to end up on, that the main guy is the good guy. You have to trust. And it lets you let go of enough anxiety to watch the film. Can you call it film? The movie. Uh, Gives you enough freedom to watch the rest of the show because you know the main guy's going to be the good guy. I have found increasingly in my life that when I read stories or the Bible with the assumption that I am the good guy, it is increasingly dangerous, an unreliable way of interpreting the word of God, that though it works for Mission Impossible, it is a deep danger for our lives of faithfulness. And as we approach the word of God, as we seek our way to be faithful Christians, it is always important to read with humility and openness to change. For me, this was never more vivid in my own personal life than when I studied abroad in college, when I took myself out of familiar contexts and located myself in the predominantly Muslim country of Niger in West Africa, I had the hopefulness of a child raised in a church that was invested in mission work across 
borders and boundaries that gave me enough hope to believe that I could travel to a distant place and contribute positively. This is what I thought. Now, my study abroad program wasn't a mission project. We were there to learn. We were there to take classes and to understand more. But I believed that I could have a positive impact just by being there. That the way I interacted with people, the things I did, the things I said, that I could contribute to the values I stand for. But the longer I was there, the more I realized how impossible that felt how there were layers of cultural nuance and difference, challenges of translation, cultural uh, realities that I knew nothing about that made it feel virtually impossible to do anything, feeling confident that it was doing what I meant it to do, that the thing I was saying was being received in the way I wanted it to be said, that the way I was choosing to spend my money was actually helping in any positive way. It was for me a season of profound humility and recognizing that although I believe I always intend good, my best actions do not always accomplish good. You know the difference, right? Sometimes we want to help, but the thing that we know how to offer doesn't really contribute positively. It doesn't help. It gets interpreted differently, or it fits into the community in a way that destabilizes something else, it bumps something valuable out of the way, our contribution ends up not helping everything. It was so helpful for me to learn that when I was 21 years old, because I continue to need to relearn it. And it's easier to learn it again when you've gotten the lesson once. It's easier to learn again to be reminded again that I have not understood everything. It shouldn't seem shocking, right? I have not gotten it all. And that the most helpful posture is to say that I need to learn more, that there's more to understand, that there's a need for change. I need to leave behind the tidy ways that I thought I understood the world and make space for something bigger and broader, more complicated and wondrous and difficult and beautiful. When these fishermen were called by Jesus there on the side of the Sea of Galilee, when they left behind their nets and went to follow him, I suspect they were feeling liberation from a job that increasingly felt like it was never going to get them ahead. They were never going to escape the system they were a part of, the debts they owed and the cash out at the end of the season may or may not be enough, trap them in a place, in a way of being in the world that felt inescapable. I have to believe that Jesus walking by and proclaiming a different world felt like liberation. But as the story continues, we know that it also feels like need for change in every moment. Those disciples, like those of us still, needed to learn again and again what it meant to be people who practice compassion, who receive forgiveness and offer grace to one another. We who want to follow Jesus, we keep learning these lessons. They're what we say yes to in baptism or in our profession of faith, in our coming to believe and belong in the church. But when we say that we belong, 
we know also that we need more change, that we need to grow, that we need to learn, that we need to listen to one another and to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Being a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ isn't having all the right answers. It isn't knowing how to be a hero, but it's knowing the practices and postures that extend love and care, that practice wisdom and faithfulness, that strive for justice, knowing all the while that we're always going to be short-sighted, that our vision will be limited by the reality of our frail frame, but that we need one another, that we need to learn. Practicing this posture of learning is, I think, the most beautiful, faithful declaration of love for Jesus. To be people confident enough to say, I'm sorry, I did not understand. Now I know more. I hope to change. The invitation of discipleship in moments looks radical, laying down nets and going to follow in a new direction. But I think the invitation is also tiny and particular and comes over and over again, not in bold moments of conversion, but in tiny moments of faithfulness as we seek to love God more, to understand more fully, to recognize our place in the bigger community of things. There's so much that we have to learn from each other, from people whose life experiences are utterly unlike our own, So much we have to uncover about, so much I have to uncover about privilege that I've been unaware of, about solidarity and struggle that I might show up for, that allows all of us to be faithful together. It's possible because we trust in the fullness of the grace of God. And as people who claim to belong in a baptism of repentance and forgiveness— We have the confidence to know that not only do we need to change, but there's going to be grace enough for us that our inadequacy is not an exclusion from belonging or belovedness, from dignity and worth, from a place in the community of faith. The invitation is to be people who learn and grow, who practice and see, who listen and understand who come to believe that we have the power to do a different thing. It was, after all, a wild and different thing that Jesus invited those disciples to when he came along the seashore and invited them to leave behind their nets and to follow him. And the life that he invited them to be a part of was a life that was transformative, not just for them, but for the whole of the world. An invitation to be a part of a life that offers healing in broken places, forgiveness, and reconciliation in places that have too long been hurt. It includes and invites and expands as together we discover what it looks like to believe that we are the body of Christ. And on a baptism Sunday, as we celebrate two little ones who formally and sacramentally mark their belonging in this household of faith, We remember that we too, all of us 
were claimed by that same grace, delighted in by God as we became a part of the family of the household of God, that we too are the ones who bring life and joy and community and mutuality together into the work of the church, that God has joy in looking at our faces as easily as we do at these little boys who were baptized today. May you know that you are delighted over. May you feel the invitation to lay down what has been holding you back, to lay down allegiance to systems that oppress, to lay down your own uncertainty and fear, to lay down your anxiety or resentment, and to take up a life of following Christ as we learn and grow and mess up and are forgiven and change and embody and proclaim the compassion, love, and justice of our Lord. May it be so. Amen.